You're listening to another episode of the Zag or Soap here, continuing our social distancing mini pod series. Excited to be joined by a 2020 fellow. Teresa is here. She's actually one of two doctors, MDs that we have in our fellows classes here. So she has a lot to share and I have a lot to ask her. Let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. All right, Teresa, complete this, complete this sentence for me. Being a doctor right now is what? It's nerve-wracking, but also very inspiring. So what is your day-to-day like right now? Yeah, so I am an emergency medicine resident in a Southern California hospital. Um, And so I'm a senior resident, and as such, I've been privy to a lot of the conversations that the hospital administrators and leaders have had in regarding implementation of, you know, protection for healthcare workers, um, what's the best medical care, you know, Uh, moving forward for our patients while we're working in such a pandemic area. Um, And so it's been very exciting, very dynamic. um, And we are just trying to stay afloat with the information that's coming at us like a fire hose, so to speak. We're literally just trying to drink as much as we can from, you know, our colleagues in New York and China and all over the world. So it's definitely an exciting time. It's invigorating for sure, but I'm sure as you've heard, healthcare workers are some of the most vulnerable populations right now in terms of exposure and actually contracting COVID-19. And so what do you feel like are the misperceptions people still have about what's happening inside hospitals? So I think, you know, relatively speaking, California has been very lucky. Um California implemented one of the earliest and strictest orders to stay at home in the U.S., so in around mid-March. And this has appeared to have really succeeded in flattening the curve, so to speak, and slowing the spread of COVID-19 so that hospitals are able to have enough resources and workers to manage the number of cases. Um, I mean, we are definitely seeing what our colleagues in New York and Italy and China have really suffered through and are suffering through right now. And so we are very acutely aware of sort of what could easily spiral into what California could easily turn into, right? So we are seeing the cases in New York and Italy and um, sort of all over the world in which sort of the worst case scenarios. Um, But so far, at least, you know, it's been, and it varies from hospital to hospital, but it's been overall relatively quiet. Um, granted, our peak, you know, the peak of COVID cases that's projected and, you know, we're doing all these data and graphing of, um, you know, how many cases are being diagnosed and how many cases are severe and the mortality of COVID in, in California and in each state. Um, our peak in California is still a few days away. It was actually supposed to be today. Um, mm-hmm. But when I checked the graphs, you know, in, in preparation for this conversation, it seems like it's been moved out to the 17th. And part of that just could be we're getting new numbers, right? I mean, California, one of the reasons why California has so few cases in the state is that we have delayed testing. Like we didn't test as as thoroughly and as in as great of numbers as some other states. And now we're starting to get that information back and that's readjusting our curve and readjusting our graph. Um, and, and otherwise we'll just have to see, play it by ear. 
You know, one of the things that drew us to you as a candidate for NLC, obviously being a doctor was super interesting to us, but you are someone who's progressive and you've taken that activism in, in many ways, even outside of medicine. So when you think of how we've ended up in this situation, do you end up thinking about it more as a medical professional? Do you think about it a lot as as a progressive? And do you sort of ponder different policies or what should have happened in your head? Like, how do you sort of process what's going on that got us to this point? Yeah, I that's a great question. I've been really reflecting upon that in my free time as well. Um, you know, I one of my other past lives and something that I'm actually still um, very active in is I'm actually a human rights attorney. And so I can't help but to be drawn towards the human rights issues that have really reared their ugly heads, you know, during this pandemic. Um, there's definitely the healthcare medical side, right? Like, you know, as an emergency medicine physician, my priority is to prevent deaths. I'm going to try my hardest to save lives. And that's what my career and all of my training is leading up to. But at the same time, you know, the other half of me, this human rights attorney side, I, I see sort of the social failings that have really made themselves apparent because the most vulnerable population is even more vulnerable now. Um, and they really can't afford to be invisible, which is what has always been the case, right? And one of the reasons why I work in the emergency department is because I can take care of the most vulnerable who come into my doors. And the emergency department is a place where people come in for all types of emergencies, including social ones. And now in this pandemic, we're seeing these gaps in our society and they're having even more profound ramifications on the most marginalized populations than ever before. And so I'm doing a lot of work with, for instance, um, you know, folks who are detained in detention centers, immigrants um, who are waiting under MPP or the Migrant Protection Protocols or the Remain in Mexico policy across the border, um, or incarcerated individuals or people who are unhoused. You know, these are the individuals I've actually really tried to make an attempt to even make sure that we don't forget amidst the panic of the pandemic. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about systems and how we can find more equity in these systems right now in COVID times. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Teresa, one of the things I've been asking folks who've been coming on, you know, is this a moment to consider resetting major systems in our country? And obviously the healthcare system is top of mind to consider resetting. Is that something you agree with? Is this a moment that pushes you towards Medicare for all or something entirely different? Are you more motivated to tackle the immigration system first? Like, what do you feel like if you could reset anything right now, you would reset? Oh my gosh, I would love to reset everything. <laughs> I'm only one person though. And reset so, it all. <laughs> I know, reset it all. Um, I mean, I, I think you bring up an excellent point, right? So one of the vulnerabilities that I'm seeing in many of my patients is that, for instance, um, insurance is so heavily linked to an employer-based system. And that's just been sort of the history of the U.S. and history of America and how um, really since the 1920s, we've really um, inured our, our medical system around this employer-based insurance system. And now with, you know, something like an astronomical number of like 6 million, or I don't, I don't even know the current numbers right now, of those who are 
claiming unemployment, we're really seeing that part of the system start to fail. And I think um, it's a hugely vulnerable population. Um, uh, you know, the other the other groups of individuals I've been working really close to um, in recent years are um, immigration and asylum seekers. You know, detention centers, prisons, jails, they're really just kindling to COVID-19. There's lack of basic hygiene, lack of space, and lack of testing. Um, you know, we are already hearing about skyrocketing numbers of cases in places like Rikers and Adelanto. Um, and I'm really worried about also the folks who are just sort of still in limbo in these border towns in Mexico. You know, they have nowhere to go. They really have no access to Seguro, um, which is like the Mexican ins public insurance. Um, and I'm hearing from, you know, I've helped open some medical clinics across the border. And now my colleagues there, because I haven't been able to visit because I'm, you know, here working on COVID in the U.S. in my own hospitals. But, you know, people there are being turned away from hospitals locally. And so I think, you know, I think we really all have to start working together and being very creative in a very um, uh, dynamic and flexible way, since we're all sort of stuck at home, too. But we really have to, you know, figure out creative spaces that we can um, and creative approaches that we can take um, while lifting up, you know, some of these most vulnerable members of our society. And then for all the folks that are at home, what's your doctor's advice about how to stay safe at home? Yeah, so I think it's tough. So shelter in place is definitely working and will be the new normal for the time being. Um, you know, one consideration is that maybe with California's early shelter in place mandates, why they were successful um, in limiting the spread. Unfortunately, a side effect maybe now as a state, we lack herd immunity. And so this may be a long-term thing. And I think, you know, this is a very severe physical and emotional trauma that every member of society is experiencing. And so I really just urge people to be kind to one another and check in virtually as often as possible. Um, you know, just and just the other big consideration is that COVID-19 is a new strain of virus, right? So we can't predict what the course of an illness may be like for the average person. We don't know, for instance, if we're having enough antibodies to prevent reinfection. There are case studies of individuals becoming sick and testing positive a second time, you know, after they stopped having symptoms the first time, you know, so we just don't really know what it looks like for people right now. Um, and so I think that kindness is extremely important, washing your hands, wearing masks now, wearing gloves if you go grocery shopping. Um, and um, I think just, you know, reaching out to people if you need help. I don't think there's any, there shouldn't be any shame in asking for some virtual hugs and time and reaching out for help if you need it. Well, that's what I was going to ask because, you know, I really only interacted with you in, in NLC professional context and you always are a very professional person. But, you know, I was very curious before jumping on with you. Yeah. How do you find time for you as the human in between all the work that you're doing? How do you handle having a partner at home? How do you handle making space for yourself? What's what's that experience been like for you? Yeah, it's been it's been rough. I mean, I think when we first heard the the stories of healthcare professionals getting ill and even dying that really struck home for me. Um, it made 
the dangers of my day-to-day job, which are sort of always there, really um, amplified it quite significantly. Um, but I think those things I've, I'm trying to meditate, which, you know, I have an ADD brain and (laughs) it's very hard. (laughs) Um, I have, um, my animals, I have a dog and a cat, which are great to have in such a, you know, such a time when you just need cuddles and some, um, love. Um, and then just working out as much as I can. I mean, I've really dust off my, you know, the, my bicycle um Mm. that's that I have in the house and um some some weights um which unfortunately broke my partner's toe so that was was, I know someone left the weights around I won't say who (laughs) (laughs) and he unfortunately stubbed his toe and broke it but it's okay it's better and it's healed um so (laughs) there are definitely growing pains um, with this new shelter in place literally Um, but, uh, I think it's just a matter of like connecting virtually with friends and family and, you know, and figuring out new ways to show appreciation and love, um, you know, maybe going back to handmade cards, you know, if you do it in gloves and stuff like that, you know, so things, um, just think of new ways that we can really support our community, um, trying new restaurants locally, you know, that, uh, really need it. I think it's just sort of being, intentional about your day-to-day coming up with a schedule um, and trying to figure out how you can connect with the community that you can't connect with physically, you know, coming up with new ways to connect with the people around you. Yeah. Listen, thanks so much for connecting with us. Uh, I know the episode will be incredibly meaningful and inspirational to a lot of folks. Thanks so much for making time. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure to catch all past episodes of The Zag. We've dropped a lot in the last couple of weeks of folks who are doing amazing work in L.A., all across the country, and all different facets of public and private life. So check those out. And until we can talk to you again, take care.